talking independence, power, and light on today's Renew Guru. Hello out there in podcast world. This is Renew Gurus, your source for all things energy policy and politics in Missouri and beyond. I'm Executive Director James Owen coming to you live on tape from our palatial Renew Missouri studios in Northern Columbia. Also joining me in studio, Philip Versica, our producer. Hi, Philip. Hey, good morning. This is a this is a rare instance where we're recording one of these in the same space. You're in Columbia today for work, and uh, this is when we could get Brent on. And so here we are, fully vaccinated. Both yes, of us. it's good to be behind the physical boards again. <laughs> with your with your with your wall of sound like Phil Spector. <laughs> Um, um, yeah, so we are, yeah, so it's very exciting that we're, uh, I think we're starting to see a little bit of semblance of normalcy, and um, so that's good. And we're also really excited to have a guest I've been wanting to have on for a while now, uh, because I just love what he does, um, and, you know, kind of want to see his work as an example in the rest of the state. Uh, Brent Schondemeyer. Brent, how are you uh, this morning? Fully vaccinated and uh, happy to be in the conversation. Well, great. Well, um, <laughs> well, that's great. And I kind of want to just introduce you to the folks that might not um, be aware of what you do. You are you are a resident of the city of Independence, and you kind of work. You kind of have a group set up called Indie Energy, and you kind of serve as what I would call you as a watchdog for the municipal utility there um, in you know, uh, one of our larger cities in the state. And, and, I mean, as, would you describe yourself as a watchdog or how would you describe Well, that, that's, that's a very favorable description. Other people <laughs> describe us in other ways. And so de- depending on how you view these issues, in some senses, you're uh, uh, misguided, uh, uninformed, uh, and all those things. But a watchdog is actually a very good, fair description. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to keep it PG. I'm sure there's people that would probably have more colorful descriptions of you. But I mean, that's what I think is good about what you're doing. You you kind of watch. OK, so independence. OK, so I think a lot of people might not know this. A lot of people, when they think of the Kansas City metro area, they think Evergy provides all the power there. But that's not the case. The municipality of independence, which is, I think, now the fourth largest city yeah, fourth or fifth. It's like it's like Independence and Columbia kind of interchange every once in a while. One hundred eighteen thousand. Yeah, population. Yeah. So okay, so you're a big, 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 big suburb there of, of 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 Kansas City, and it is it is a municipally ran utility, <clears throat> IPL as we call it for short. That's what we'll call it on here. Uh, they are, you know, like all other municipal utilities, they have a fairly sizable staff, but they are ultimately uh, regulated and the decisions are made by the independent city council. Um, and so you and, 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 and to be, and I think it's, it's, it's fair to say it has been the subject of, of some turmoil in recent years, this utility. Oh, fair, fair commentary. Yeah. Uh, right now, there. I mean, if you're if you're watching, if you watch the news, there's there's been some talk of of law enforcement investigations in regards to contracts that were issued in terms of of construction being done. But before we get to some of that more controversial stuff, I mean, you know, from how long have you been doing this? How long have you been interested in what IPL does and and informing the public about that? 
Um, we, our formal activities began, began in about 2014. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, at that point, had, uh, well, actually, let me back up a little bit. So Independence Power and Light has about $150 million in revenue, has about 54,000, 56,000 customers. Most of them are sort of residential. To your right. point, Evergy is all around us. So we're just a little postage stamp of a, of a, a power company that goes back to 1901, back to, uh, you know, 1901, these were the efforts of progressives to sort of bring power to your town square. And in many cases, it's been a source of pride for a long, long period of time. Mm-hmm. Um, you And we got, we we're interested, uh, there was an interest beyond coal to sort of close down power plants that were burning coal. We had two of them. Uh, one of them was a, a power plant called Blue Valley and it was burning coal and then it switched over to natural gas and subsequently it has been closed. And then yep. there was another one called uh, Missouri City. Uh, they provided nominal power in the community, so it wasn't really complicated, you know, shutting them down. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's I think it's really difficult. And so so we got started really around that. But as you get into it all, uh, understand is, is that uh, from our municipal utility, um, this is the ultimate act of democracy. <laughs> you have, uh, um, I don't have another choice for my power. I can't say I'm, un, I'm unhappy with my cell phone, so I'm going to switch. You can't right. switch. And so you have monopoly power exercised by a governing board. In this case, it would be a sort of city council. It's a seven member sort of city council. And in that instance, uh, four can really sort of drive sort of decisions. And uh, you can talk about controversies, but I was thinking back about the different issues that we have been through in our community over this seven year period. We've been through discussions about community solar. We've been discussions about decommissioning the power plant. We've been through discussions about advanced metering initiatives. We've been uh, uh, talked about new power generation. And so we have not been exempt from really any of the other issues that an investor owned uh, utility would have to be grappling with. But in some ways, an investor-owned utility is better equipped uh, to maybe deal with some of these issues by virtue of having a larger scale, a larger staff, a larger technical staff. And also, there's this other counterbalance is that you have something called the Missouri Public Service Commission. So yeah. there's always this body that somehow is that they live in fear of, uh, that they got to go explain what it is that they're about. about. And uh, there is something called, and you served in this role previously, Office mm-hmm. of Public Counsel, who right. is supposed to be there to represent and protect the interests of the public in any proceedings. And so who, who performs that function at a municipal level? Yeah, <clears throat> it's, a, it's a good question. And one that I, you know, I have talked to, because <clears throat> I, I think for a lot of people who know my history, I'm, I'm, a, I'm from the Springfield area. I worked in Springfield for a while. I still have pretty good relationships with some of the city council down there. I've urged them to try to find, you know, if anything, an ombudsman um, that can, you know, be a buffer between uh, the utility and the governing function and the public. Uh, that's never very popular. The utilities always push back on that. Um, so I guess, you know, to the extent that, you know, we, you know, we're a renewable energy group. I mean, is your, would you say your group's focus is on, promoting renewable energy, or is it just a matter of being uh, open and transparent and, and trying to promote good governance uh, with, with IPL? Well, uh, good governance, economics, and understanding of the industry would suggest that you should go to renewables. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> you know, so, so, so there's a sense as people want to say, well, what are you? And, yeah. and uh, um, you know, uh, 
would it be too brash to say we're about the best deal and we're about the best future? Yeah. And, and the hard part and the difficult part is, is that a lot of these power generation decisions are generational. Uh, you make yeah. a choice and it lasts for 20 or 25, 25 years. And so we're facing one of these decisions ourselves. It's also the case is that you can make a good environmental choice. Um, we have community solar, but we locked in a price that was higher than really uh, what the market would justify. And so there's a recent yeah. report that said, you know, we lost, you know, $850,000 on it because we have a purchase power agreement and we're obligated to buy all the power that's, that's, that's purchased. And so over, so people sort of say, well, solar is bad. And you have to say, well, solar isn't bad. The price we pay might not necessarily have been appropriate. Right. I think, I think it's hard for people to understand the inherent risk in fossil fuels of uh, the variability of the fuel source as contrasted by wind and or solar where the sun is the same price every day of the week. The wind is the same price every day of the week. Uh, it needs to be acknowledged that they're intermittent, but these things are being sort of addressed really over time. This sounds odd, but I, uh, I had not, uh, one of my daily routines is to get up and log onto the Southwest Power Pool, SPP.org, yeah. and see how much wind is being generated by the Southwest Power Pool. And some days it's really stunning. It's 60%, 70%. It is a, a, lot of, a lot of wind that goes through that market. And so, so there's a sense, I mean, you don't really have an understanding about how the power comes to you. So you, right. you know, everybody says you go to a switch, thank God when you go to the switch, you flip it and it comes on, uh, but that could be wind, that could be natural gas, that could yeah. be uh, coal, and it could be a variety of different sort of sources. And I contrast it to water supply. If you sort of say, everybody knows that the water comes out of the ground and there's a, there's a point source for that. But wow. energy, energy comes and flows and moves from all different sort of varieties across uh, transmission lines and comes to you in a variety of forms uh, and it can change from day to day. And so there's the dynamic of this that isn't really sort of appreciated. And so people go look at the coal, uh, go look at the power plant and they believe all oh, that big structure with that big smokestack is what's generating the power for me. In reality, it's right. not. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. You, you talk a little bit about uh, markets and about, you know, one of the things that anymore you see with municipal utilities is, you know, it's it's expensive to generate power for yes. utility. Uh, I mean, you know, it, it is easier to with the marketplaces becoming as advanced and sophisticated as they've become. You mentioned that independence is a part of the Southwest Power Pool. So is Evergy. So is Liberty. So is City Utilities in Springfield. Um, and so you get, so there's a reliance on outside sources for where a lot of your power comes from. Generation is not a huge part of what IPL does anymore or as much as what it was, but it's largely distributive. Yes. And, and that's kind of the false understanding <laughs> because we're a power company. We are generating our <laughs> own power. Uh, right. the very, the very first presentation we did, it was in January. We have, one of the things we do is public forums, and these have been very, very educational. And when you start looking at the numbers, in 2007, 34% of the power was generated by Independence Power and Light. Mm -hmm. And then when we, this first forum, uh, we put a number up that said 10%. And this was just like a stunning number. People didn't believe that we only yeah. generated 10% of our power. How could that be? Uh, if we were only generating 10% of our power, how could the lights come on? How could... Uh, industry function. And right now it's really less than 3%. So it's, we are really a transmission and distribution uh, 
system as right. opposed to opposed to a generating. So one of the requirements of being in the Southwest Power Pool, and that gets us to one of the current sort of discussions, is yeah. you have to have so much uh, accredited capacity. And so we have old combustion turbines. God love them. You know, they fired up during the winter outage. Yep. You know, they, they made money. They were over 50 years old. You know, um, it was great to see them sort of performing, but there's a desire to retire them. And then so how do you replace 96 megawatts of, of six combustion turbines? Do you do them all at one time? Do you replace them as you need them? Uh, do you buy capacity? Uh, uh, and this is a real challenge. And so there's this feeling is, oh my God, if we got in there, we could, we could group all these together and we could create a new uh, generating capacity and we could get in and we can make money. And in yeah. some senses, that's an unsettling and frightening thought because um, I'm not so sure a municipal utility exists to become energy traders uh, and get, be actively engaged in the market because in some ways it puts the community at risk. Your job is to generate reliable, affordable power uh, for your community. And frankly, that's available through your involvement with the Southwest Power Pool. But that's a real, but that's a real proposal that's out there by yes. in independence to yes. produce power, sell it on the market as though this has never occurred to anybody else. So <laughs> it would just like, it's like almost like one of those old Mickey Rooney musicals. We're going to paint the barn, put on a show and take this thing all the way to Broadway kind of thing. Uh, well, <laughs> in this case, there's a belief that you can take it to the bank. Well, right. <laughs> and, well, yeah, that it's just, it's so, they, but when you break it down, that seems so easy. But then when you think about like, I mean, it is, it is, it is, I mean, there are companies that that's all they do is set up generation, hook onto the grid, and then they work on selling power. And that's all they do. Their job is not to provide power to customers or services to customers. That's it. I mean, that's like a, that is a full-time job. Well, and there's a presumption that's a little troubling to me. How or why could we do it better than Evergy? Right. How or why that we could do it better than somebody else? And yeah. so there's this interesting sort of narrative. Uh, there's, a, there's a market void because uh, the decarbonization of Evergy, the decarbonization of the Omaha Public Power District, uh, we have two long-term coal contracts. Uh, one of them was with IATAN 2, the other one with Nebraska City 2. So once these shut down or get closed down is that we can step in and fill this sort of void. Um, I'm sure Omaha Public Power District and uh, Evergy are also figuring out how to provide power after they shut these, these, yeah. these, pla these plants down. And uh, there is kind of an unexplored part of this all, there's not a full recognition is, is that we have uh, financial obligations to Omaha Public Power District. Uh, for the construction of Nebraska City 2. We have financial obligations to Evergy for the construction of IATAN 2. So one of the things that sort of came out, you can say, uh, well, are you environmentalists? Well, I'm interested in the environment, but I'm also interested in debt. Uh, yeah. uh, the, so our approach has really been pretty broad about what it is that it looks like. Democratic participation, uh, it's a little bit troubling is that we are a public utility, but we don't have public hearings. So right. you, you, you intervene by having to kind of raise your voice up and try to throw it over the transom because there aren't really sort of formal process in which you can sort of actively, you know, actively engage in. Yeah, and I mean, that's interesting too, because a lot of people will say when you talk to them about, you know, municipally ran utilities, they'll say like, well, you know, we elect city council members and they, you know, oversee this stuff. But I mean, my experience has been, you know, look, in 
in Columbia, Springfield, Independence, those folks that are doing that job, they're it's part time, they're not paid. <laughs> and it's easy for them to say, well, look, the staff of the utility is telling us this is a good idea. They're the experts. We're not. Let's just go with what they say. I mean, have you, have you found that is sometimes like a, the default uh, sure. the default position of city council members? I mean, well, our, our part of part of the staff, I mean, there's a genuine view is that this, you don't know this, you don't understand it, it's complicated. Yeah. Uh, and and if, if you don't, if you don't hear complicated in the first three paragraphs of any conversation that you have, then in some senses, you're not engaged with one of the players. So, <laughs> and so in some ways is that there's a sense of like, trust us, but in some ways is, is that decisions have been made that uh, question whether that trust is earned or that trust is deserved. Actually, right. I looked back uh, a prior city council, this was back in uh, 2009, uh, approved a set of rate increases. And I'll just read these off. Uh, 9% in 2009, January 1, 5% on July 1st, uh, 2009, 5% on July 1st of 2010, 5% on July 1st, 2011, uh, 5% on July 1st of 2012. And when you add those all up, and that's not compound interest, that's uh, 29% uh, a rate increase that occurred in one night at a city council meeting. And when you look back at it, and when you reflect back on it all, it was an effort to raise rates, probably to give them the revenue to support building a coal fire plant back at that point. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, thank God the coal fire plant didn't really sort of happen. But what that what did happen is that those rates pushed those up so that the municipal owned utility rates were higher than the investor owned. So isn't one of the benefits proposed benefits of a municipal utility is that you have lower rates uh, because yeah. you don't have to you don't have to pay dividends, you don't have stockholders, and so so yeah. we've not experienced that uh, as a municipal utility. There's been some race, recent rate reductions and. Um, you know, my view, um, maybe not accurate and maybe not shared by others, is that those rate increases actually gave a surplus of cash. And so a lot of bond issues were issued uh, for projects that, uh, uh, you know, make improvements for a power plant that's now closed. Uh, uh, and it appears, you know, there's a lot of excess cash on the books, and that excess cash may not be uh, operating income, but it may be uh, surplus bond revenues. So there was a yeah. Uh, some rate reductions. Yeah. And I mean, that's right. Cause I mean, you know, the motivation of Evergy is different. It's a for-profit, you know, it's a for-profit endeavor. You all don't have to, in theory, make a profit. You have to cover your costs. You have to cover expenses, but then, you know, there's a question of, are those expenses justified? Are those expenses necessary? I mean, those are the factors, but yes, it should seem like they shouldn't be charging more than like, let's say Evergy would, or rates shouldn't go up as much. Um, you know, you mentioned community solar, you, you all, I mean, you all, I mean, it is, it, is that, is that like what we would typically know as a so solar subscription program that if yes. you don't have solar on your roof, right. Uh, you can subscribe to this. It's at a premium. Yes. Uh, yeah. Amron has that. Evergy has that. Um, Evergy still trying to fully subscribe theirs before they can build a facility. Um, I mean, you know, in regards to like distributive solar and in regards to like people participating that way, how would you, how do you think IPL does with, with working with people who want to go solar or with the solar industry? Um, no different than other major utilities that they don't like the idea. Yeah, it's bad. <laughs> you know, I, okay, yeah. I, I mean, 
you know, let's let's not pick on them unfairly. I mean, no, no, no. Yeah. You know, I mean, I mean, I've looked at this and um, um, people do it, but you really have to be committed and passionate about it to be able to, to affect it. Um, oh. So it's not encouraged. And so there's a there's a interesting twist to this because uh, the city is interested in selling power uh, because it has a, a payment in lieu of taxes. Think of it as a utility franchise fee of about 9%, which is really pretty high. And that money goes and funds the city's general operations, police, fire, other general operations. So if you went in and said, oh my God, we got a plan that can go in and sort of reduce uh, energy and independence by 10% or 15%, uh, the community might say that's wonderful or that's great. But if you're the finance director or the city manager, that just really unsettles you because they're when a declining revenue source. So there, there's a, really a desire to sell more energy. Uh, recently, the IPL Independence Power and Light Director reported that demand was down 5%. Uh, and I think that's been seen across other sort of utilities. So is that uh, COVID-19 related? Is that more efficient, uh, you, you know, appliances? Is that uh, a shift from people yeah. working in office buildings uh, to working from home where residential rates are lower from commercials? So I think, I think we're into seeing some shifting of the shifting of demand uh, that that may have not necessarily be fully anticipated. Mm -hmm. Well, there's been a lot of challenges, and I think we're only going to see more of those. Um, yeah, and I mean, you know, in, in regards to, you know, we think about like big challenges. You mentioned the SPP, and you kind of alluded to February. What I mean, we know that there were some some outages and some plan outages in Evergy service territory. What was the experience like overall for IPL's customers uh, during that cold snap? Well, I, I think it got unduly exaggerated. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You, you know, I mean, I mean, well, my ice, storm, ice, storms, ice storms have kind of taken the whole town down. And yeah. so, people, so people being out for an hour and a half. And, and the reason I actually feel very, very strongly about this, this, this forced outage in some senses is one of the compelling arguments that's being uh, advanced for energy independence. You know, we have to control our own generation because uh, if we don't, we're, you know, we're headed to a Mad Max apocalypse sort of uh, world, world and sort of experience. And so a power outage is indeed inconvenient, uh, but in some ways you have to look at it in the context of the power outages that happened because of the squirrel. <laughs> the power outages that happened because the person, you know, car hit the power pole. Um, yeah. so, so when you look at in the context of the outages that occurred during the whole year, um, this was significant, but not, not overwhelming or monumental. Yeah, well, I spent a, a whole podcast a, a while back trying to, I think that the issues in Texas got conflated with the issues yes. in the city area. And so a lot of people said like, well, it was just a disaster. It's like, well, okay, so there were a lot of problems in Texas. And that is a very different situation than what you have in the Kansas City area in the Southwest power pool. And it, I mean, it really wasn't that, I mean, yeah. I mean, like everyone says like forced outages are, are bad. Well, that might be true, but then, you know, again, you mentioned there are outages, you know, regularly that we have no control over. And two, the amount of money you'd have to spend to deal with a once every 30 year crisis like that. And maybe that increases, I don't know, but it would be, it would be, it, it, it would be a lot of money for an average customer to have to pay to deal with like having power available just to deal with a, as opposed to a 30 minute outage. 
Yes. And, and that to me is like something we got to keep in mind, like the totality of this. Yeah. I mean, a community isn't a data center. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, so it, it is so like, you know, you, you have like these, and, you know, and I know that like we, we've talked a little bit about independence has has had a goal to be a very green city, to be a very, um, um, you know, to be very, uh, you know, mindful of environmental issues. That was a goal they set a while back. Um, I mean, do you think that IPL is moving in that direction? Do you think there's too many challenges for them to, to kind of get behind that goal? I mean, what do you think that's a, I mean, do you think that's a doable promise? I think it was a false promise. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I mean, when you have long-term coal contracts with Iatan 2 and Nebraska City 2 that you're locked into 2049 or 2050, how it's really hard to sort of say we're going to be the greenest city in, in the United States because you're already locked into to fossil fuel over a long period of time. You know, in some ways it's laudatory, uh, but in, in many ways it uh, uh, might have served as just a kind of a pretense for going in and investing in community solar. Uh, uh, and because that's something it is that we intended to do or wanted, you know, wanted to do, um, it doesn't seem to be controlling the conversation about how do how do we replace uh, these combustion turbines. Um, so if it was, you would be sort of saying, well, we're not going to do natural gas. We're going to be trying to find some renewable response because we have a commitment to be the the, the greenest city in in the United States. So so whether you feel that way and whether you think that's where we should be. I'm suggesting is, is that the economics would take you there. Mm -hmm. Wind and solar are now cheaper than, than natural gas for the most part and clearly coal. Yeah. So I kind of wonder, like, you're very, inf I mean, I, and I'm not just trying to, you know, chat you up because you're, you know, because we work together and I, you know, we try to work on uh, things together and you're on this podcast, but you, you're very informed on this. I mean, like, I mean, most people don't dig into this. They don't wake up in the morning and check out the SPP uh, <laughs> well, it's a personal, personal failing, I would suggest. <laughs> <laughs> well, so like what, I mean, so why, why do you, why has this been, why have you been drawn to this? I mean, why do you think that is? Why is it that you're so into this? Um, part, part, it's my personal story. I was a journalist at an earlier period of time, an investigative journalist. So I spent a lot of time looking at governance. I was a business reporter at the Kansas City Business Journal. But to me, in, in some ways, I'm really committed to a community. And if the power company isn't serving the interest of the community, then it's, it's a burden on the whole community. It's, it's the most uh, used city service. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. I mean, you know, what, what always shocks people is when I tell them that, you know, more people pay utilities than they pay taxes. Yeah. Uh, and it is, so to me, it's a more far reaching policy issue. Um, I mean, and there's this other dimension to it, all that, and I, it's hard to maybe get into this, <clears throat> but let me wander in. It's become an attractive nuisance. It's been a source of corruption uh, in, the, in the community, because when you yeah. think of the uh, discretionary, large capital intense expenses that occurred, I looked at a file the other day, and there was a <clears throat> plea agreement by a former city council member about a coal contract in 1985, where a uh, uh, the contract could be moved for a $50,000 bribe, quote unquote, deposited into a country bank. Yeah. And, and, and so in some ways is, is that the community is still also 
appears to be the subject of an FBI investigation really around a couple of energy, energy projects. So, yeah. so back to your earlier point about the people in Springfield or the people in Columbia who serve on the city council. Yeah. Uh, wouldn't we want them dealing with other issues that, that would be for community and betterment? Because mm -hmm. the energy issues can really kind of tie you up. You know, when you talk to some members of the city council, 40 or 50% of their time are dealing with power issues. And yeah. so if, if, the, if dealing with those resulted in, a, in a, a reliable power source that was lower than the investor owned, that was well-managed, uh, that had democratic participation, that valued the stakeholders, um, you say, well, that might be worth the effort, but I'm suggesting at least three, if not four, if not five of those uh, aren't, aren't apparent uh, in our, our local situation. Right. And it has been alluded to, I mean, there's been reporting on this. We don't have any special insight on this, but there has been, there are allegations and there's, a, you know, allegations that right now there is uh, pay to play schemes, bribery, that sort of thing that's being, well, that has been reported that's being looked into. I don't want to say that it's happening. I'm a lawyer. I don't, <laughs> I don't want to say that's for sure happening, but it, I think you've heard from credible sources that city council members have been spoken to by the FBI. And, yep. and so, you know, and, and what is unfortunate to me, because look, I've, I've li I lived in the Kansas City metropolitan area when I went to law school I'm on the Kansas side. I love Kansas City. My, my wife lived there for a while, but it almost like fits into a, like a, like a, like a like kind of a, a, a stereotype of the town that it's, you know, like the, the, you know, the Pendergrass stuff and everything else. I mean, you know, that this is just a way of how things are run there. But I don't well, think that should be acceptable to anybody. Well, and that's why if you're interested in your community and you're interested in good governance and good governments that you sort of dig in on, um, I think it's also the case, and you've alluded to your Kansas City experience, there's another municipal utility, uh, BPU, Board of Public Utilities. In Wyandotte County, yeah. Wyandotte County, and some of these things were evident there also. And yeah. so, so you want to say, well, is it something inherent really about municipal utilities? And, you know, you don't know. But then I look to uh, uh, Columbia, Missouri, and I don't think that's the case there. I look to Springfield, Springfield, uh, Missouri, and I don't think that's the case there. Um, so I just think I think municipal utilities just face a special challenge in how it is that they do because they don't really have uh, a, a regulatory process. They don't have the technical staff. They don't have the representation on the part of the public that you find uh, that the investor-owned utilities have to go through. Yeah, because I, well, I lived in Lawrence and I worked in Topeka. I mean, Weststar was going through its own corruption. There was like a CEO who got into a lot of trouble and, um, you know. There oh, yeah, were, yeah. That was a long time ago. But, um, you know, but it, it it happens everywhere. I mean, you have it in other parts of the country. There's Ohio. Uh, uh, Ohio, Illinois. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it it is, I mean, when you deal with money, we're talking about, again, a lot of money with this stuff. You're dealing with influence that is sometimes too intoxicating for some people. It's uh, it's it can be a it can be a bad combination. Um, so you know, I mean, and I, and I kind of want to because I mean, look, I know you work on this. There's other people in independence that work on this. I mean, like if if you're sitting there at home listening to this, and you're in Columbia or Kirkwood or Springfield or any one of these other smaller towns that are distributive you know, have their municipality does distribution. I mean, what would you say that they should do if they're interested in doing what it is you do? 
What should they do? Well, you know, I be, I'm interested in others sort of taking this up because I think there's a particular role or a responsibility on municipals. Um, frankly, I'd be happy to kind of engage other people in the conversation if they want. Uh, one thing to do, you can do is look at our website, ndyenergy, I-N-D-Y, energy.org. Mm-hmm. Um, I, frankly, I was stunned because uh, I looked at this uh, just the other day. We had 1,600 unique visitors to our website in wow. 2020. And so either people are lost, <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, but honestly, sometimes, you know, sometimes people are trying to understand what the cold weather rule is. Uh, well, I mean, I, I mean, listen, that is, I mean, look, we do, uh, you know, our group has a thing about, you know, energy efficiency. I think that is, I mean, to me, that is going to become like the number one issue for things that people like you and I work on is trying to reduce how much power we're using. I think that is so important. And I think that's so important, especially for low income uh, residents and, you know, having to deal with these kind of crises who might not be equipped like others. Um, yeah, I mean, and so, and I think that, you know, like I read your emails, I think you send, I don't know if you send those out every week, but I mean, they come out pretty frequently and I find them to be very useful. I mean, you know, you, you said you were a journalist. I mean, it, it clearly shows that you can write. Um, so, I mean, that's obviously a skill that a lot of people don't have, but it does communicate well what's going on there. I mean, can people sign up for your newsletter? Sure. On the- and they can do that through the, they can do that through the website. So what I would suggest to you is, is if you read the newsletter, the issues that we are writing about are probably the same in your own community. Yeah. Just the facts might be a little bit different. Um, yeah. And, uh, um, you know, there could be an opportunity for all the municipals to start producing a combined, you know, newsletter that said these are issues affecting in general. Oh, that's a pretty good idea, Brent. <laughs> well, you know, some of them are, you know, true, true for all of them. So mm-hmm. what, what does an integrated resource plan look like for a municipal utility? Do you have one? What does that mean? Yeah. Uh, what's the debt that you have uh, in your, your municipal utility? Uh, how, you know, I think there's some common issues that, uh, frankly, that we could create a kind of a mashup effort, uh, mm-hmm. pull selectively from uh, different communities, have different correspondence from, from different municipal utilities. And because I, I think... Uh, I think it needs to be a larger conversation and not necessarily, yeah. it needs to be a particular conversation, but energy is the existential issue, as they say, of our, of our time and our, and our generation, so to speak. And uh, uh, in some ways we have a more greater responsibility to do this because we're supposedly have more decision-making power to shape the future of our own energy decisions. And the reality is that we may not. Mm. It's a pair, it's a time where we've got to be really on alert about what we're doing and the decisions we make, isn't it? Yes. And um, so, you, you know, we've been informed actually by you and others who've been willing to kind of hop in and join in our conversation. I mean, what you know uh, in 2014 and what you know in 2011 is substantially different. I mean, I've come, I've come to have a, a real appreciation for uh, energy issues. And, uh, and, I, and I think there is a, a generational interest in is that how do we address this? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, look, the, the one thing I really love about this job, and I know it is my full-time job and it's something I do, but the one thing that has been endlessly, uh, you know, helps me get up in the morning in addition to what I think is a good mission for our group is that I learn something new and something new seems to be happening every single day with this topic. And it's really exciting, but it's also really perilous. Sure. <laughs> Sure, sure. You know, you feel like it could get away from you. 
Um, and so, you know, you had kind of given this idea, which actually, like, I think is a very good idea of combining uh, some forces on information gathering. But what is it like from it? If, like, and I know we're, we're going to try to wrap up here pretty quick, but like from your perspective, what are a couple of things IPL, if you could run IPL, that you would do differently to make it be better? Oh, I think that would be another show. <laughs> we'll have you back on. <laughs> well, well, you know, I uh, actually, actually, they brought in a uh, outside management group and they uh, provided a pretty critical, you know, a report about what it is that it looks like. Uh, uh, in some ways, some of them are operational. Uh, that uh, IPL missed out on an opportunity for $2.5 million in revenue because it didn't file a timely report and didn't engage in FERC accounting. Federal, you know, and so, so I mean, there's just the day-to-day -day parts of what it is that that looks like. But, but the part of it is, is, is that having a clearer idea about where you would be 10 or 15 years out. Because I think when you make decisions in the moment, particularly in response to the winter crisis of February of 2021, is that you can get yourself really on the wrong, tri wrong trajectory. You yeah. know, I think a lot of people have suggested a uh, kind of a portfolio sort of approach, diversified energy sources. Yeah. Um, one of the things, and this was a real stunner, is that the community uh, opposed advanced meter reading in initiative AMI. Uh, I didn't even get to that, but yeah. Yeah, and so and so so part of this, these become contentious issues. Uh, so a AMI has become a version of what an earlier dis discussion around fluoride was in the community. The community doesn't have fluoride in its fluoride in its water. And so those are operational efficiencies that you could sort of more quickly reconnect people who have been disconnected. And, and you know, I think the issue may be dead for some period of time, but frankly, that got caught up in who was going to do the work. Mm -hmm. And so you had a good idea, get uh, corrupted yeah. by uh, how it is that it was dealt with. Yeah. I, I'm still trying to lobby the city of Springfield about having a, a person uh, in the city staff, not at the utility staff that is kind of watches over that from a consumer protection issue. It's, it's hard to justify the money for that. I certainly know that they don't love the idea. City Utilities doesn't love the idea, but I still think that would be something that especially for the larger utilities like IPL, like city utilities, like CWL, that would, would help. Um, Brent, but otherwise, I think you are doing the Lord's work. I love what you do. I would love to have you on again. Um, again, what's that website? Uh, www.indyenergy.org. Okay. And I would encourage you, even if you don't live in the city of independence, and if you do, I really encourage you to get a part of this. But if you want to learn more about what Brent's doing, I think it does have a lot of useful information. Go check it out. Brent, thank you for your time. We, we love great, we, great to be with great to be with you uh, and onward and onward and for all of you at home thank you for listening to renew gurus if you like what you heard on here subscribe to us on all major podcast platforms write a review share on your social media platforms and until you uh, until next time we'll see you again on the radio bye